I truly believe that we as a society would benefit if people would just allow themselves to do the things that they're good at and that they love and that they enjoy and and not try so hard to prove something to someone. It's our curse that we constantly feel that we need to do more, we need to put more effort, we need to put more work, we need to achieve more in order for us to be lovable and accepted and to be respected. Hey friends, welcome to the Good Life Podcast, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm Michelle Lamoureux, self-love and podcast coach, as well as the author of Design a Life You Love. And together, we're going to be doing just that. Each week, I bring on world-class experts, authors, entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of giving you the time and space to think about what you really desire in your life. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey friends, it's Michelle Lamoureux and welcome back to the Good Life Podcast. Today you're in for a treat. We're going to talk about how to get connected to your authentic self and to truly love yourself with Christina Mand Lakiani, who's the co-founder of Valley, the world's most powerful life transformation platform with an ever-growing 20 million strong following. She's an entrepreneur, writer, international speaker, artist, and philanthropist based in Estonia and the author of Live By Your Own Rules and Seven Days to Happiness online programs, as well as her most recent book, Becoming Flossom, The Key to Living an Imperfectly Authentic Life. Thank you, Christina, for being here. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me this opportunity. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. And um, we're going to get into what it means to be flossom. I know that that's a word you said you didn't invent, but you've defined it in your own way. And I'm excited to hear what that is. But Mind Valley, that's a huge platform. Uh, can you just take us into your story? I know that you've had an interesting childhood and background and you've traveled. And I just, I'd love for me and my audience to get to know you a bit better. Yeah, I uh, yes, you know when you when you read out Mind Valley and and you give it such a such a glowing um, explanation, I was feeling so pleased. Yeah, we are uh, one of the world's biggest platforms for personal growth and education, probably the biggest platform working with the uh, world's leading authors in our in- industry. But I personally ended up in Mind Valley by accident, okay. <laughs> unintentionally, because as you as you mentioned, I have a bizarre background. I was born in Soviet Union and raised in Soviet Union. So it was the country where personal growth wasn't a thing. Uh, we were incredibly pragmatic, incredibly, you know, society's goals were more important by, than individuals. So, of course, when uh, when Soviet Union collapsed and I ended up in this free world, rediscovering everything, um, I got married to Vision. Vision is the, is the famous uh, face of Mind Valley. Uh, so when we got married, I actually moved to New York and having uh, no proper visa. Uh, I think the best thing I could do was to help uh, help, help Vision with his his passion project because he had a j- day job and Mind Valley was his passion project. So reluctantly and by accident, I started helping him with Mind Valley uh, without realizing that this will end up being my life journey as well. My personal um, idea of what my life was going to be like was very, very different, very far from that. I studied to be a diplomat <laughs> because that was, <laughs> well, I'll explain why. Yes. Soviet <laughs> Union, we were not allowed to travel. And I believed as a child that that was the only way for me to see the world. Of course, I was curious. Wow. So that's why I started studying politics and international politics. I uh, made a career in Estonian politics. But then, you know, things, sometimes life takes us in unexpected uh, journeys, and then we find out that that's where we were supposed to be, and that's that's what happened with me and Mind Valley. I ended up uh, where I was supposed to end up, but I didn't know when it was happening. Right, of course. Well, that's it's such an incredible story, and it's interesting because in the book you talked about how you loved physics and math as well. <laughs> so let me actually ask you this question. I was going to ask a little bit later, but you talked about in the story that you got the golden medal from the president of Estonia for your academic excellence. But your teacher was telling your mom, oh, she's a great student, but she could <laughs> she could do better in her Russian studies. So, so tell us how 
Um, Cause it sounds like you, you know yourself well, but there were all these sort of layers and obviously where you grew up too, that sort of clouded it. And that happens to so many of us where we get disconnected from ourselves in some way. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. So you tell us about that experience. The disconnect has happened probably a little bit later, but I guess it's a good thing that I got that medal because I, I'm a huge, uh, huge advocate for not working hard. And I know that that sounds probably horrible in the contemporary society, which is actually obsessed with, you know, with uh, productivity and, and hustling. And I'm the, that person who comes and says, guys, we're wrong. Uh, so I guess for me, it was necessary to have those medals because I, I know what it means to work hard. Uh, I am a perfectionist. I've been perfectionist all my life. Uh, I was born in Soviet Union, a very non-individualistic society. So you bring yourself as a, a martyr to the, you know, to the altar of, of whatever society needs. I'm the only child of my parents, which means actually not that I'm spoiled, but it means that I had no sibling uh, to do it right. All my parents' hopes were on me. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Yes. So that that idea that I had to be good was on steroids, if it's possible. Now, we said gold medal from the president, just to simplify the story, because nobody wants to read two complicated stories. But actually, so in Soviet Union, they had the uh, system of medals. To get a gold medal, you had to get only excellent marks for three years in school, the last three years. I actually almost lost my gold medal because I left out two commas out of my final essay, which took six hours to write. No. I almost oh lost goodness. it. For two commas? To, yes. You had to be perfect for oh, three wow. years. And that's why I bring Russian language because I I studied in Russian system uh, because uh, I I didn't know all the commas and occasionally I made mistakes. And that was the weakest. Actually, my weakest was sports, which is uh, another ironic story. (laughs) And I got a medal from the president of Estonia because believe it or not, but our school had four people who had golden medal. Four. So I was picked out of those people to go and and get the medal from the president as the best. Oh, you represented your school? You represented the four winners too? Yes. So if if I was the best, I was actually doubly the best. So why I'm saying it's important is because... uh, It's it's such a trap of contemporary society. We're so enamored with that. And the world doesn't change. All it changed is that I didn't bother to redo one of the exams to get cum laude in university and then to get another cum laude in my master's degrees. I only had one mark off and I couldn't bother anymore because I realized it didn't make any sense. Wow. Wow. But you said it was good that you won the award. What what did it do for you? Uh, It it wasn't the result. Uh, I mean... I did. I made my career in Estonia, uh, post-Soviet Estonia, and when I moved to New York, uh, I, I couldn't find a job. I didn't have a proper visa. Nobody understood where, which university I graduated from. And I remember one interview where, where I was interviewing for a job, and and the guy asked, "So, how is your English?" I'm like, "But I'm speaking English." Don't you judge my English? Like, I don't know how is my English. Uh, it's my third language, so forgive me for my bizarre accent. So I didn't really milk the uh, the medals um, much because it's school. I mean, it's school, it's university life. When life happens, all of that just remains as as this blissful past and childhood. But why it's important is that. I really believe that we as a society are idealizing the wrong thing. Ah. Um, and if I didn't have these accomplishments, people would say, yeah, but you just, and, you know, with all those golden medals and with all that work, I don't feel so ashamed to say that my nature is actually very less as fair and lazy. I like to take it slow. And, you know, you sometimes need to prove that you can do it the other way for people to even hear you. Mm. It's beautiful. I got goosebumps from that. I I, I feel that. That's beautiful. Um, flossum. What does that mean? And how does one become flossum? <laughs> Tell us about the, you know, what in, in inspired this book. It's a cool so, word. I'll gi- I'll give you like an ironic background for this word. So when I started writing the book, I'm a writer, so writing for me is a form of self-expression. Mm. So when I sat down to write the book, I knew approximately where I was going. It's like, you know, you get out of the house and you say, I'll go and walk in the forest. You don't know where you're going exactly. It's, it's, it's the forest. So when I started writing the book, I, I knew that I wanted to write a book about being yourself, uh, 
people call me authentic so i had to i had to uh, write around that so it was a book on authenticity in fact yes and uh, i had a whole uh, page uh, of uh, working titles for the book it was literally i did my own brainstorm with my page <laughs> sheet of paper so i had i had the the sheet of paper with the, with the working titles and flossum was nowhere there so i finished the book uh and i don't remember what it uh, title was or maybe i don't want to remember anymore <laughs> and then somewhere on the internet i came across across this word and the word found the book so wow. i, I and, oh, sorry i found this word and it just made so much sense and i said of course, it's becoming flossum. And Amazing. You know, that was when I knew that's the name, that's the title. I don't need brainstorming. <laughs> it it just clicked into place. So that's that's how it happened. Uh, now the funny thing is that um, I wrote the book to be self-published, and then the the word came. Then I gave it a title, and then I started working with my publisher, and it went through other rounds of um, of editing. And thanks to those other rounds of editing, the word flossum actually uh, permeated from the cover into the book itself because there was no word flossum in the book. Oh, how funny! Okay. <laughs> Okay, because it was about authenticity. Oh, I yes. love that. That's great. Okay, so then it made its way in, but it's a cool word, and it it it's. So, what does it mean to you? So, for me, flossum means being recognizing your imperfection and realizing that this is exactly what makes you beautiful. Mm. That's what it is for me. Mm. And don't we all want to embrace what makes us beautiful for being imperfectly perfect? Right. I mean, this idea that we have to. Uh, I don't know, keep striving and achieving the next level of success. I mean, even in the book, you write that there's that part of you that knows that like you want like this idea that it has to make some list, right? Or some ranking. Yeah. There's always these expectations. You put it out and it's always the next level of like, where are you going to take it? What accolades can you show for the effort yeah. versus just the flow of the work and the intentionality behind what you've created? in order to serve others. Really, that's what I took from. I mean, there's so much beauty. There's so much you cover in the book. Thank you. Uh, first of all, a huge thank you for having read it because I, I mean, from your comments, I know you have, and that's 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 such a pleasure for, for any writer because the book really, I, I, I keep saying that the book becomes a book when it finds a reader. Uh, and um, yeah, it's... Um, it's quite a journey to recognize your imperfections. And I think... The, the beauty of it is that it actually gives you so much energy back. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like letting go and allowing this warm, comfortable embrace, realizing that you don't, you really don't have to do, to, to try so hard to be something else. And um, if we started in a pragmatic way, so I'll keep that line, but that energy that you release because when you try so hard, you do put energy into that. Everything takes energy. That energy that gets released from from just stopping to to be something else, from faking it, uh, you can channel into things that matter, that truly matter. And yeah. I truly believe that 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 we as a society would benefit if people would just allow themselves to do the things that they're good at and that they love and that they enjoy. And and not try so hard to prove something to someone. Uh, it's it's our curse that we we constantly feel that we need to do more. We need to put more effort. We need to put more work. We need to achieve more uh, in order for us to be lovable and accepted and to be respected. And I, I buy into that as well. You know, I was just having an interview uh, recently. And I was sharing how uh, I have the sacred time from seven to nine when I spend time with my children. Hmm. And even now, I feel guilty saying that, no, I'm not going to have an interview between seven to nine because not because I have another meeting or I have another because I prioritize my children. It's like I've written a book about being yourself and still and yeah. still I feel guilty and I feel like I'm not professional enough. Don't I want enough success for my book if I can't, if I can't give away everything for that? Wow. Wow. This is resonating so deeply for me, truly. And it's interesting. You're not the only guest who's been grateful that I've read the book. It always might, like, I don't understand that you're, you could be showing up and somebody hasn't taken the time because, and maybe because I wrote a book too. It's like, when you put all that heart and work into it. And I think for the richness of the interview, it, it does the service to the guest to have, 
we're on the same page now because I've literally read the pages. <laughs> so I think that makes a difference. And I want that for my audience. And I also have to acknowledge you when, when Christina's talking about seven to nine, she's talking PM right now. I'm going to look at my clock. It's, it's 1248 in the afternoon here. And what time is it there? It's 10, uh, 48, <laughs> 48 PM, PM ladies. She's, she's doing her and she, yeah. Logged in at 10 30 at night for this interview. So <laughs> super grateful. Um, absolutely. And, you know, a, a couple of things which we can touch upon that when you were talking about, you know, the striving and, um, is the imposter syndrome. And I actually mm-hmm. just did a solo cast on this cause I had hit a ranking with my podcast, like, and it made me happy and uncomfortable at the same time where I like hit number 13 in the United States in the how-to category. Like, (laughs) well, I didn't even realize my thank you, but I don't know that it stayed there, but it went hit there. And then I was like, oh, and then all this weird self-doubt came in. I'm like, am I doing enough? And so can you speak to this? Because you also interview a lot of the greatest minds and, you know, a lot of people will be surprised to know that very successful people struggle with imposter syndrome. What do you, what's driving that? And how do you, how do you navigate that? Well, first of all, I want to say that number 13 is a lucky number. I know oh. it's counterintuitive, but I've lived no, in Asia. No, I've always thought that. You know, I've lived in Asia for a long time and in Asia, uh, East Asia, four is the bad number. So in, ah. our, in our way elevators, we had the floor 13 and 13A. So since then, <laughs> 13 is the lucky number. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you. Okay, I'll take that. But jokes aside, um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I think my my physics teacher, and he was like a hardcore Soviet <laughs> physics teacher, he said it the best. He said that knowledge is like an island in the ocean of uh, ignorance. And uh, the more you know, the bigger your island, and the bigger your island, the longer the coastline, the more, uh, you know, connection or the, the touch point with the uh, ocean of um, of ignorance that you have. So the more you know, the more you realize how little you really know. Mm. Uh, because of that it's it's li- literally like this and I think that's why people who actually are worth uh, worthy of of their achievements they very often uh, feel that, that but there's so much I do not know mm. now um, if they were maybe to compare themselves to to other people in the industry maybe they wouldn't feel so bad but they usually uh, usually the people who are very and I don't have research bef- behind that so I'm I'm basing it on my own feelings but usually the people who are uh, ambitious they do have a very high bar for themselves uh, regardless of uh, of the environment yeah uh, for them it's important to succeed not just to win the race but to actually you know beat your own, own record and that's that's part of it now why why there is such a problem with imposter syndrome also i think part of the problem is this paradigm in which we live, uh, the idea of that success has to be achieved with hard work, uh, sweat, blood, tears, and sacrifice. And that's a really dangerous paradigm because if you achieve success without having sacrificed your health, your social connections, your family, you, of course, if you equate success to sacrifices, somewhere subconsciously, you're going to have this doubt but is it really success? Is it right. going to be sustainable? Uh, did I earn it? Am I not supposed to suffer more? It's like, you know, a, a comparison would be, and it was in the book, that comparison that I made, that uh, when you go to the gym, you add weights uh, to your machinery because you need your muscles to burn because if they don't burn, you feel like you've wasted time. With success, it's the same thing. Only rather than weights, we add hard work. Yes. And because we live in that paradigm that idealizes, sacrifices, and going through as many hardships as possible to achieve success, that's why it's really so hard to acknowledge your success if it hasn't taken everything out of you. But yet, if you do something that you love, yes. you might not suffer. Yeah. If you do something that you're really good at, it might not require 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's it's natural. It's natural that we doubt. But I really think that our society doesn't give enough examples of other ways of reaching uh, of reaching success. And since we touched on that topic, I, I actually didn't know we'd be going there. I'll share. Do you remember I said that I had two, two bad subjects? One of them was language <laughs> and another one. And I became a writer. How awesome was that? And another <laughs> one was sports. Yeah. So uh, I, I wasn't good at sports. 
But <laughs> when I was four years old, yes. Uh, so Soviet Union was known for Olympic uh, champions. Yes, it had loads of Olympic champions because there was um, there was such a system which was called Olympic reserves. So they picked up the kids, they plucked up the kids from all over the country at the age of four. Because in Soviet Union there was this thing, you know, if you do anything after four, it's too late. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they picked kids at four and they actually trained them into Olympians. Wow. From age. So uh, when I was uh, in kindergarten, they came and they picked me up for gymnastics. <laughs> and I remember this is one of my earliest memories. I, I realized today that my earliest memory is a dog biting off my ear. I actually have both now. <laughs> but that's oh that's another one. That's one of my earliest memories because probably it's a traumatic memory. Uh, they brought me to this training and they put me in a split and I was crying. It was so physically painful that when mm. I came home, I told my mom, never take me there again. And uh, she, uh, thank God she listened to me. She didn't take me there. And uh, that ruined my relationship with sports forever. Whereas I was picked for Olympic reserves because I obviously had what it took to be an Olympian. Although people who maybe are of a different school will say, I didn't have what it took to be an Olympian because I dropped off so early. But <laughs> I actually did because the next year they came and they picked me up for Olympic reserves for figure skating. Oh, wow. But my mom didn't take me there. So now... Why I'm telling this story, because it's a really short story. I had a training. I uh, It was painful. I refused to go ever again. And then sports was my weakest subject. I was a waste material of the system, which idealizes sacrifices and breaking people for success. Yeah. But I was lucky. I was lucky because I was wasted after the first training. I didn't have my childhood broken. Yes. I didn't have my hopes broken. I didn't go to the Olympic Games only to lose. And to feel myself like a loser for the rest of my life. We live in a paradigm which, which idealizes the only way we understand success is sacrifice and breaking. But that system creates so much waste material we never talk about. Never. It's so true. It's so true. So do you know the poet Khalil Gibran? He wrote The Prophet and he talks I, about... Oh, go ahead. I, I borrowed that book from my son. <laughs> oh, you did? I, it's one of my absolute favorites. And in it, he talks, he says, uh, work is love made visible. And those yeah. words are just so resonant to me. But we are in different cultures where like this idea of success is not, it does not, it's not allowed to be personally defined. And that's actually a lot of, when, when I interviewed the entrepreneurs, this is about creating success on your own terms right? And that you do get to take ownership back of that. But we do live in a hustle culture. I really hate the word hustle. I see that that's not, you, you don't, that's not how you vibe. And I even did like a solo cast a couple of years ago on like embracing the feminine energy, which is more about flow. And you wrote about this, talk more about flow state and how does one balance their desire to achieve, but not with that hustle mentality, like how, because like you said, so many, so much of this has been ingrained in us is that this is the only path. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's like a religion in a way. And if I say that this is not the only way, a lot of people will, even if they are willing to listen to me, it just doesn't click because another way would be, uh, you know, achievements through encouragement rather than from punishment. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, now, a very simple analogy would be the red marker and the green marker technique. So say my final essay, the one which almost uh, ruined my prospects for golden medal, <laughs> uh, you write an essay and the teacher picks up the red marker and points out everything which went wrong. This is a red marker technique. You're constantly shown what's wrong with you, yeah. where you, where, where you're bad. Now, the green market technique is the teacher takes the same essay and rather than uh, focusing on things where you went wrong, the teacher points out everywhere where you were brilliant. And your homework is not to correct the mistakes, but to actually take the things where you were brilliant and run with them and go deeper. Now, uh, you, you've read that story. Imagine if my teacher uh, said to my parents, not that Christina is good, but she's bad with that. But they said, Christina is good. And this is where she's really good. Why don't you see how she could spend more time doing astronomy, physics, mathematics, the things that I truly enjoyed? Now, it's it's a possible scenario. And there are a lot of people who achieve success through that. But it's not a very good uh, you know, movie script. Or yes. 
<laughs> it's not super good for books. So that's why in pop culture, we don't see examples of that. And that's why, you know, our beliefs are viruses which feed on evidence. The only mm -hmm. evidence we see is of the other paradigm that success is achievable through punishment. Yeah. We don't see a lot of evidence of success being achievable through love, through encouragement. And because we don't see that, so we don't consider it even possible. And when we stumble upon that, then we don't believe in our own success. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So I think there is another paradigm, the uh, success through encouragement. And I don't have statistics. Maybe I should look into that. <laughs> I believe it creates as much success, world-class success, but it doesn't create waste material mm. in the Zero so waste material. What have you seen culturally? So, you, you know, you've lived in, well, when it was Russia and then Estonia and Malaysia and New York, like <laughs> you've traveled so many places, you speak multiple languages, you know, just, just, it doesn't have to be research-based. Like this is your experience. What, what did you witness in terms of this whole cultural impact on our ability to be authentic and to uh, achieve success in a way that is true to us versus all these external norms, you know, that are imposed. Like, are, did you see many cultural differences or, is, or do you see that it's very, it, each culture has their own way of manipulating the person into like striving for perfection? Well, uh, you know, my my passion for for research and statistics and proof is is part of my uh, Soviet upbring upbringing. I, I, I like to verify things. Um, Soviet Union was very uh, inexplicable uh, environment to be in. I think the closest we get to that would be probably North Korea, which nobody knows anything about. Uh, and uh, it had its own expectations. They were not so much based maybe on uh, the idea of, you know, you being successful or not. It's, it, it was more uh, survival based in the sense that if you, well, for example, very simple example, you couldn't do business because that was illegal and you would end up in jail. So few people who took risk to swindle things to earn extra money were in great danger. So uh, any kind of expression, self-expression wasn't really encouraged. So it was such a different um, parallel universe that I wouldn't actually compare the system or the effect of the system on the people to, to the world in which most of us live right now. Yes. Uh, Living, having lived in Malaysia for 16 years, it, of course, a different environment, but it's in essence capitalistic and uh, because of that, and, and it has some traces of democracy. So because of that, I'm, I'm sorry for everybody who's listening to me from Asia. Uh, I, I believe I'm a child of Asia. I deserve to, to have a real relationship with that, that region. But uh, it, it is much more comparable to, to, let's say, US or Europe. Uh, I was also, I have lived in six countries. I was born in Belarus. Uh, you can call everything the Soviet Union. I've lived in Estonia. I've lived in Norway. I've lived in Scotland. That's where I studied. Uh, US and New York and, and Asia. Uh, one thing I can say, all people are uh, in the core, just people. We are so, yeah. so similar. We have different circumstances. We have different decorations. Uh, and if we talk about certain issues like, um, let's say, women rights or, or opportunities or human rights, of course, circumstances are different. But our, and I know Soviet Union is inexplicable, but we also had love. Uh, you know, we also had happiness. We also had connection. Um, it was life. It was just different. But in essence, we were the same. Yeah. What about New York, though? When you went to New York, what was that energy like in terms of what you were used to, too? What did you take in from that experience? I am uh, I'm the new New York type of person. <laughs> <laughs> OK, why? Why is that? <laughs> I, I enjoy New York. It's it's uh, it's the most uh, maybe it, it had more to do with my age. I have no idea. But it's the most inexplicable thing, because um, when I came to New York, I had left my very successful career in Estonia. Yeah. Um, I was a nobody. Uh, I still had to adjust to the way people spoke there. It was a little too fast for me. I uh, I did have difficulties sometimes understanding. Also, I've been brought up on British version of English. Um, so I was rather lonely, but I never felt lonely. I think what I loved about New York, and I had some traces of being aware of what's going on at that time. It wasn't just the journey. 
I think what I loved, which, what I consciously loved was the energy, the fact that people just kept moving. It was so optimistic. And this is something which which was very um very attractive just just to to see you know when you're dis- depressed and sad you go out on the street you see people moving and yes maybe some people see that they're stressed that they're overworked what i saw was that they had energy and they had passion and they had desire to do something and yes i don't understand until now biologically what it means 24/7 and how on earth can you work 24/7 it doesn't make <laughs> sense to me but but they say the beauty is in the eye of the beholder and I know people who hate New York and who see things which I don't see. So I, I think it depends on with which intention you come. Mm. You, can yes. cho- you can change your mind on the spot. You can just decide. And for me, I, I think I was so excited. I was so proud of myself. It was such a proud thing to say I'm a New Yorker. So I enjoyed it thoroughly, despite being completely lonely, lost, without a career, and having to rediscover myself from from zero. And also, they're incredibly friendly to the point of strangely friendly. <laughs> but Funny. You will not never go a day without talking a word with someone. <laughs> so true. I actually love New York, and I love the energy of it too. And it's funny that you say it's friendly because I think there's probably people who live in the states who think the opposite. They think they're completely rude and. You know, I remember visiting with a friend who had moved there from college and we got out of a cab and all you heard was somebody using the F-bomb, like swearing at somebody. And she looked at me, she said, welcome to New York. (laughs) You know, it just had that kind of like over the top, um, but fun. You know, I will I will write it off to reticular activating system. And since you've read my book, you know what I'm talking about. There's this one experiment that I ask people to do. Uh, your brain actually, because we have so much stimuli in our environment, your brain has to filter it out. So in a way, we give it a command what to filter out. So in simple words, your goal defines your perception. So the exercise that I do in the book is that I ask people to look around in their environment and notice everything which is pink, for example. And if uh, and, and I do not know how many pink objects are in people's lives, but maybe there is some detail. So if, if people who are listening right now, look around, notice everything which is pink, just take a note of that. And then I'll ask you guys to close your eyes, honestly, close your eyes and remember everything which was blue. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if you are in a familiar environment, you'll remember something. But when you look around right now, you'll notice things that you didn't remember because your brain, that's how our brain works. And I'm, of course, I'm simplifying reticular yes. activation is more than that. But what happens is that you notice what you give command your brain to notice. Your goal defines your perception. So if you're going to a place like New York and that's your expectation that everybody is going to be rude, that's what you will notice. If your expectations are something else, and I know it sounds so woo-woo, but that's how our brain works, literally. But if your expectation is that, yeah, they're stressed over work, but they're in essence friendly, you will suddenly start noticing that those people that you thought were rude are actually just hurt. Mm. They're not rude. It's their pain, pain speaking. But then next to them, there is a person who's incredibly friendly, and you maybe wouldn't have noticed that person if you wanted to notice the people who are rude. And That's I know so I'm talking from experience because I lived, when I moved to Asia, yes. I hated it there. Yes. I hated it for years until I made a decision that if this is my home, isn't it smarter to learn to love it? And everything changed like this from one decision. It's beautiful. That was one of my favorite messages in the book, actually. That that part when you talked about, you're like, I just like overnight, like that was it. The shift was made. You chose to love what you saw. and. And you loved you loved being there. And we can do that with anything in our lives, couldn't we? I mean, it's not even just about where you live or right. It takes a little bit of practice because you know there's also this programming. And you know, in psychology, they have this idea that if if let's say if a problem took you five years to 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 get to that point, to create it will take or, you yeah. at least half of that time to get out of that. Yes. So because they're uh, you know yes our brains are neuro there's neuroplasticity but there are also the neural pathways which are there for a reason so the habits are there so the moment when you bring the awareness into the process you start you have a chance to change the habits so when it comes to to beliefs the problem that a lot of us do let's take hard work success requires sacrifice and hard work yes and if i see this is 
I'm sorry, English is my third language, so I hope you forget, uh, forgive me. If I say it's bullshit, oh, you can say you can bullshit. Leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can say that. You know, I don't even think they consider know, that a swear on. You know, the, the, the natural thing is that turn 180 degrees and say like, no, but it's not easy. And it's not like you don't need to sacrifice anything. No, but that's not what I'm saying. The belief which will work is probably not going to be a heel turn belief. It might be just 1% adjustment. Love that. Yes, success does require work, but it requires the work that you love to do. Yeah. That you're naturally good at. Yeah. Is that what it is that? I mean, is that how you approach your own work and when you like empower others, like just to be in the alignment of what truly brings you joy? Kind of like what we talked about with Khalil Gibran talking about work is love made visible. It's not to toil in something that makes you that you despise just for a paycheck or accolades because you're good at right. You have the six. You're getting the external validation. So how, can you well, speak more to that? Because I think it's hard because you also have to be able to make a living. And sometimes there's things that you're good at that don't actually pay the bills. I always think about how do you reconcile that. I'd love your thoughts. That's because of the paradigm in which we live. We think there is no other scenario that's the thing and you do you remember what i said your beliefs are viruses which feed on evidence mm. your brain picks out what you right it's the pink out. versus the blue yeah pink versus the blue so of course of course it's really hard to shift now um I, I will misapply this uh, principle a little bit because uh, in its origin it was um, it, it was invented for another reason, Pareto principle. Yeah. And and I know in work, it's not quite the same. The percentage might be actually different. Pareto, classical Pareto principle says that 20% of your activities create 80% of your results. Yes. Well, I think that the actual percentage is 1585 wow. in reality. But uh, I will leave it at that because there's very, very little research. I mean, if you want, you can uh, research the theory of flow. Uh, it does have a, in, in broad terms similar idea that if you get into flow, you can create within, let's say, one day out of five, you will create uh, whatever you would create in a week. Wow. It's, it's based on the same principle. Yeah. So if you're interested, you could research the theory of flow. But uh, the thing is that, and it is true about everyone. It is really true. Actually, people who who coach businesses or who who consult businesses, they know that. They know that. That's why optimization is possible. You cut off the things which don't produce the results because eighty five percent produce the uh, you know the fifteen percent of the result. Now the problem is that because we believe that success requires hustle, hard work, and sacrifice, we fill the rest of the space with busy work. <laughs> if we don't, we will feel like an imposter. It's so true because we need that sense of like feeling the immediate satisfaction of checking things off. And if if you don't know what to do, one thing we know very well, it's hard to serve. It's hard to let go. It's hard to trust your genius. But it's so much more tangible and understandable to put more work, to put more hours. You know, That's I don't so know true. how to create a piece of genius in 15 minutes, but I do know how to spend a whole day trying. So true. This is so beautiful. I love this so much. Okay, well, let's um, talk about self-love because we're both uh, <laughs> believers in self-love. And that, and I also believe, right, self-love is the foundation. Self-care of like, oh, go get the massage. You know, I do buy myself flowers um, every week. Um, but but talk about self-love. I'd love to get your viewpoint on it. I know you do like a little mini course on that too on your on your website. So I'd love to I, hear. You know what? I uh, after after we published the book, I suddenly realized that it's about self-love. In essence, I know it's called "Becoming Flawsome." That was not the title <laughs> I gave it from the start. It was about being authentic. But the more the more I talk about that, the more I realize that in essence, it's about self-love because um, it is the. It is the, the epidemic that we have in, in contemporary society. We don't love ourselves. We we feel that we're not lovable enough. And so we we go into all those extremes to prove to ourselves that we are lovable. And I know it might sound a little bit counterintuitive because you, th you would say, go on social media and all you see is people uh, being self-obsessed and, you know, showing off. But that's that's not 
out of self-love. That's out of the lack of self-love. Because you can't give yourself that love and admiration. You expect the whole world to give you the likes, to give you the comments, to give you the approval. And then, oh, so you approve me, then maybe I'm... Uh, okay, to approve myself. Again, we could go deeper into how, how this whole negotiation for love actually was programmed into us. Um, you know, as a perfectionist, uh, I, I know how it is. You have to earn the love. Mm. You have to do the right thing. Yes. Then the love will be given to you. So it's it's partially because of that. But we as a society, we do suffer from the lack of self-love. And I've been I've been very puzzled by that because I'm an obstinate person. And you probably know that. But when I started publishing the book, uh, my marketer said, you know, self-love is not really that marketable. And I was like, really? <laughs> so I, 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 had to, I had to answer that question. Why? And I came to a conclusion that there are two, uh, two, in broad terms, three reasons, actually, three. So reason number one is we think it's unimportant. So as an entrepreneur, the logic is very simple. Uh, you know, I have business to run. Uh, economy is uh, down. My clients uh, can't pay. My employees are leaving. I have serious problems to take care of. I don't have time for that. Nonsense. Yeah. It's fluffy. It's unimportant. Okay. My my teenage kids don't listen to me. Uh, you know, they have problems in school. I have more serious problems than this nonsense. We call self-love a soft skill. Yet, surprisingly, so a statistic says that 85% of adults have low self-esteem. Mm, wow, self -esteem that's high. Is 85%? Not, 85%. Wow. Self-esteem is not self-love, but it's it's very often uh, you, you know, a symptom of the lack of self-love. Yeah. So with these numbers, we call self-love a soft skill. My question is why? Is it because it's unimportant? Is it because it's too easy? It's definitely not too easy because people suffer. They, they don't know what it is. Uh, and um, a very interesting idea, which uh, as as I was thinking that I came came up with is 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 this, that, you know, you think that you have problems in business, in family, and your personal problems are important because of that. But in reality, you have personal problems which project onto your business and onto your family. Mm -hmm. And when we understand that connection, that it goes in the wrong way, then we'll stop deprioritizing self-love. It's true. Because you have it's a true. problem with anything. Because first of all, you have a problem with yourself. Once you sort that out, like, you know how when, when you're happy, nothing is really a problem. Yeah. And again, return, returning to Harvecker, I think I mentioned him already. Uh, he, says, he says it beautifully. You think there is a big problem, but in reality, there are no big problems. There's just little you. Oh, wow. You grow, problems you. become smaller. So self-love is, is the primary concern. Once you sort this out, a lot of problems will either become small or disappear. Now, the other reason why people struggle with self-love is we don't understand what it is. There's That's no right. definition. There you go. We don't understand what we, we consider uh, self-obsession as self-love or selfishness as self-love. These are the opposites of self-love. We don't know what how it feels, what that relationship is about. And the fourth, uh, the third problem, sorry, is perfectionism. Our obsession with perfectionism is the source of the dark side. It's, and we are coming back to that same negotiation for love. I'm only willing to love myself when I'm perfect. And if I'm not that perfect version of myself, I'm going to punish myself by removing my self-love. And because of that, we don't know how to deal with those dragons. I call them dragons. I hope you follow me. We don't know how to deal with those dragons, so we push them away. And that's how the dark side arises. Yeah, because what you resist persists. It's gonna. It's not going to just magically go away, too. Um, yeah. And with the self-love, it's just interesting. I, I know for me, like for the last 10 years, Christina, when I've journaled, I say to God, what do I need to know? Love yourself every single time. Always every journaling session starts the same. Love yourself. And I wrote a whole book on loving yourself. Can you show it again? Yeah. I spilled my tea on it before we wait, started. Wait, 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 wait. I'll, I'll take a screenshot. <laughs> so I'll send you, I'll send you a copy. I will mail you a copy into Estonia. Can I do that? Um, it's on my website. I actually give the book away for free now, but it kind of channeled through me 
but it's all because I was like, oh my gosh, this is all just like loving life lessons and stuff. But it's so funny because even though I know and I teach about it and I talk about it, I'm still, I feel like we're still in a dance. Do you ever feel like, I was curious about this because, you know, the whole work, because I think authenticity and self-love, they do go hand in hand because if you're being 100%, like you said, not 95%, 100% authentic to yourself, then you are showing up as your truest nature, your truest form and expressing through that truest form, which I think inherently is, that is self-love. You're not making yourself small to make somebody else comfortable, You're right? You're not doing the things performatively to make others happy. But do you feel like you've arrived or do you still feel like you're evolving? Because <laughs> I'm 52 and I still like I'm still in a dance with it. Like, I, do we arrive? I'm just curious because you said at 40, you had this awareness. And I'm like, oh, gosh, she's way ahead of me. I mean, it's taken <laughs> one time. So, <laughs> and I'm, I wrote I'm, this book 10 years ago almost. Yeah. You know, I'm a little younger than you, 45. And imagine, no, <laughs> I, I would... I would not like to imagine that I was the best version of myself. What would I do for the rest of my life? Right. Be boring, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be? No, it would be, be scary. So <laughs> it would be scary. Why? Uh, why scary? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I'm a gamer. <laughs> I like to play games. And my favorite type of games is civilization. And uh, I have noticed that a long time ago. If you, you know, you build that beautiful civilization, you you've uh, fortified it, and at some point it just becomes so boring that you invade a tornado or a <laughs> or a famine or something. Because <laughs> we humans are bored. That's interesting. Yes, yeah, that's interesting. So, but that's that's a joking answer. A more serious answer it would be, you know, we take shower every day, or if not every day, we brush teeth every day, we wash face every day. Uh, life happens all the time, and that's a huge mistake a lot of people do when they come to personal growth. They think it's it's like you know, it's like with profession, you do your your education, you get your medical degree, and then you're a doctor, and then you're a doctor for the rest of the life. It doesn't work like that in personal growth. You think that you come, you'll go through all the programs, you'll get your diploma and like, now I'm good at life. I'm the master of life. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Life is a dance. There is no size fits all. Yes. What works for you today will be completely irrelevant five years from now, maybe yeah. even tomorrow. So it is a dance. And because of that, it's like, you know, if you've done ballroom dancing, of course, you've drilled the steps. Of course, you understand the beat and the rhythm and you maybe know your partner. But every dance is a living creature. And it happens as you make the steps, it happens. And so the same with love, life and love and everything. It's and, and life is going to be sometimes painful. And things are going to happen. My projects are going to fail. The people that I love are going to leave. And I'm going to get hurt. And in the moments when I get hurt, I will need my self-love again. So it's like training the muscle. Just because you have big buff muscles doesn't mean you grow, don't go to the gym again. Yeah. So no. Thank God. I am still a work in progress and forever. Hopefully. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I think that's so great. Well, okay. I just, anything I didn't ask you today, we've covered a lot and I know it's late there. So just anything that you want to leave the women listening with today that we didn't touch upon? Uh, I, I usually just go by intuition because uh, there's this. <laughs> yes, go for what whatever popped into your head. Sounds so beautiful what to me. popped in my head is, uh, is this really simple uh practice, uh, especially in relationship to yourself, because we were talking about self-love, replace judgment with curiosity. So for example, you do something and you say like, oh, here I do again. Why do I do that? Then rather than, because that sounds like with judgment, you know, what's wrong with me, replace it with curiosity. Oh, I wonder what does it mean? What does it say about me? How would I like it to be? So if you replace judgment with curiosity, it's going to really help you mend your relationship with yourself. I'm so beautiful. Okay. So I'm going to direct people to where to connect with you, but let me just, I'm going to just show the book again. So it's Becoming Flossom. And then the subtitle is The Key to Living an Imperfectly Authentic Life by Christina Mons Lakiani. It's a beautiful book and there's exercises you throughout the whole thing. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you have, you're kidding. I got a copy before you did? Because I live in Europe. <laughs> it takes much longer. <laughs> Well, I just picked, I was away last week and I just picked this up when I came back and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to read it on um, yesterday. So I'm so, it's beautiful. Oh, you haven't held it in your hands yet. 
I have it on my iPad. <laughs> no, it's not the same because you get an earmark it and I don't know. I love to feel a book. I, I'm old school. I like to feel the book. Oh, well, congratulations. There's your beautiful cover. I didn't realize you didn't have a copy yet. Um, well, I'm honored that I got sent one. <laughs> um, where can women that are listening today want to connect with you, get the book? Where should I direct them? Where do you like to connect the most? So in June, it's going to be available in all the bookshops in US and in July, it will be in the airports. But I think the best way uh, to get it is from Mindvalley's website. It's mindvalley.com slash books slash Flossom. Uh, because uh, I, I, of course, you know, it's it's such a big endeavor. I've created a course to go with it. It's on self-love and all the bonuses, all the all the goodies are going to be in the package there. So that's where I suggest you get your book. I love it. And where do you like to connect? Do you like Instagram? Where where social for social media? I'm, I'm socially omnipresent, like any, anybody nowadays. It's Christina Munt everywhere, <laughs> uh, ex, except Twitter, which is a bizarre place. Uh, so Christina Munt, Christina is an uh, is with a K. It's yes. um, Estonian way of writing it. Oh, it's so pretty. Well, all the show notes for today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com with all the resources mentioned and links to Christina's books. You can pick up a copy or connect with her on social. Uh, I've loved this conversation. You're a beautiful soul, beautiful book. So fun to hear your perspective. And um, thank you for sharing today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. It was absolutely my pleasure. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.